0: The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. Podcasting from the Victims of Crime Resource Center, this is season two of Knowledge is Power, Victim to Survivor, a podcast series where we help crime victims understand their rights ...so they can go from victims to survivors. On this episode, we'll discuss mental health services with Dr. Amir Ramizani. Welcome in, everyone. It's me once again, your humble host, Nima Malavi... ...from the Victims of Crime Resource Center. And today, it's my pleasure to welcome in Dr. Amir Ramizani into the podcast. Dr. Ramizani is, the, uh, is a psychologist at the University of California, Davis... Where he is also an associate clinical professor. Dr. Ramazani also holds a private practice at the Center for Cognition and Compassion. He also works as an expert witness on trauma and brain function. Dr. Ramazani, thank you uh, so much for coming into the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Nima. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, thank you. Uh, I'd like to start our conversation by by discussing how a um, a person's mental health can be impacted by being a by being the victim of a crime?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think it can impact the person in many ways. Um, you know, the, the way I often will uh, think of the reactions of of someone who you know has gone through some sort of uh, traumatic event, like going, you know, being a victim of crime, uh, is that um, they're going to have. It, normal reactions that anyone would have uh, to some sort of abnormal situation so I I'll, often will you know as I say these reactions um, I, I, I like folks to think about it as really having these normal reactions as a result of being in a unfortunate abnormal situation so if we think about when folks are going through some sort of traumatic event um, it their reality in that situation um, is changed completely. It's actually, something that's outside of their reality happens. And so it's very normal for that person to suddenly not be able to trust what's happening in their environment and even with people. So, trust in, in themselves, sometimes even trusting their decision making, trusting the people around them, that could be a, a very hard situation for them and it could be often an expected um, reaction Um, and another thing that happens that i think can be a lot of times barriers to Mm -hmm. getting treatment is normally the person uh, because the the situation is so scary and some folks may not have resources they'll normally feel shame they'll feel guilt of course there's anger with, with the situation which often the anger helps them to really take action Mm -hmm. unfortunately the shame and the guilt kind of prevents them from taking action um and when these reactions um because a lot of times our mind is trying to make sense out of what happened in Mm -hmm. this very unrealistic situation our mind begins to replay the event in forms of either like flashbacks or dreams um or even uh our our body begins to have reactions. So some, it's very normal, you know, for, for some folks to have, uh, panic attacks, um, because their body in a sense is saying, you know, I need to be alert here. I need to be Mm -hmm. very hypervigilant, um, about what's happening. And, but unfortunately that hypervigilance leads to, you know, anxiety, uh, panic, anger outbursts. Um, and it it really leaves the person, um, feeling a sense of isolation i think as well um and and these are very normal reactions to have um but it's helpful to you know put them into context because a lot of folks when they're going through it you know when when any any human being when they're feeling shame guilt anger maybe having a flashback there it's hard it's hard for that person to say oh you know this is actually not me this is the trauma. This is the expected trauma symptom. So it's very hard to differentiate yourself from these reactions. Um, but I think it's, you know, very much doable to, to recognize it and actually be able to, um, differentiate yourself. And then that itself actually helps people get better.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, so I want to expand on, on what you said there. Um, so you talked a little about n- normal, uh, reactions. Uh, so that leads me into my next question. Are there any kind of common types of reactions that, that a person can have after being the victim of a crime? Uh,
1: yes, yes, I, I believe so. And, and there's a concept called, you know, acute stress or acute trauma. And then there's another concept called, uh, post-traumatic stress. And, and, you know, most folks who experience something that's horrific, that's catastrophic and traumatic, um, it is very common for them to experience these, uh, any any one of these, you know, symptoms. And these reactions, you know, I mentioned a few, but these reactions, you could kind of think of them as three categories. Um, one category is you know, the brain is really trying to make sense out of what happened. And because it's trying to make sense, it keeps popping up the memory. So that's the flashback. And some people will have like flashbacks of, of the event. Some individuals, mm-hmm. they may replay the event in their dreams in in some form, or they may just have simply very scary dreams that, that wakes them up in the middle of the night. And that's, again, really the brain just trying to... Um, make sense, reprocess what's, what's been happening. Um, once, once the brain really makes sense out of things and heals through it with, you know, with kindness and compassion, really with, with an appropriate, uh, uh support, then the individuals will have less of that, um, of that re-experiencing, uh, category of, of symptoms. And then the, the second uh, reaction, which, we would expect of course is that the person will avoid people or places or sometimes even thinking about the event um and so you know for example if the traumatic event happened in a car if the traumatic event happened in a room um at a at a park the person will avoid that place because um the body begins to rev up right when it gets near that um kind of like what i mentioned earlier that hypervigilance, the body becomes very hypervigilant, which is really the third uh, category of these reactions. Um, The body gets really ready to, in a sense, either fight or flee or freeze, you know? And and when when we freeze, um, many things can happen. It's very common for folks to um, experience what's called disassociation, and um, disassociation looks something like, you know, you're talking to someone and then a memory pops up in their mind and then you just see their eyes kind of blazing over and they just zone out. Um they're you know in that moment they're no longer connected with you as a person. You know, they're there you, you could see that and and for them it's hard for them to be really engaged in their life because their mind in a sense kind of pulls them back into the past. Um, and in um, disassociation, uh, which I, I would say it's not a common reaction, but it can happen. And I think it's, if, if that does happen, it's very much, it does indicate that it's worth seeking out support. Um, but in disassociation, some individuals may even see themselves outside of their body or feel like a part of their body doesn't belong to them. And, yeah, and, and, and so, they're, they're, you know, also a lot of folks, their reactions not, not only include this, you know, these ideas of, acute trauma or PTSD, but it they start to cope with it um by you know either trying to get a sense of control. So you may see a lot of um you know obsessive behaviors, a lot of double checking, uh, a lot of, you know, doubting themselves, uh, a lot of rituals. Some folks may use substances uh to cope. And uh there may be even pre existing conditions that get worse. And so for example if someone had a Chronic pain condition, or they had uh, cognitive issues or brain-related changes, then you those conditions can also worsen as well.
0: Mm-hmm. What it what it sounds like to me is, um, and I'm curious your opinion is that these um, flashbacks, dreams, avoiding places, the fight, flight, or freeze, it almost seems like a way that um, the brain is sort of protecting. Um, the person or the body from, from, from you know this event and the trauma. Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, yeah. There,
0: there are you know, there's
1: there's many ideas about why these, these things happen. But yes, one of the ideas is that um, that yes, the brain is trying to protect itself. It's trying to really adapt. It's trying to function um, because really the brain, um, you know, uh, the brain is just trying to say, okay, am I threatened right now? Okay, I. If I am, then I need to either get ready to fight, freeze, or flee. Um, but what what happens? And even though it's a, there's a good intention behind these, you know, common reactions, um, the challenge is that um, the brain doesn't really know that the person is no longer in the traumatic event, and that that that's the part where it's like, okay, the brain is trying to protect and defend, but they're in this moment um where the person is, you know, uh, usually experiencing, they're usually not in the situation no longer.
0: See. So some of the common types uh of reactions are you know, flashbacks, dreams, avoiding the event, people and places, and then as you mentioned, the fight, flight or freeze response Um, so maybe let's switch gears and talk about, you know, crime victims reacting in a way that one would not expect. Um, could you touch a little bit on that? For example, such as when a domestic violence victim, uh, returns to their abuser or when a sexual assault victim is, is unable to, let's say, remember the, the assault. Can you explain a little bit, um, for our audience to understand maybe why that is?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, of, of course, there, there's there's so many factors. I kind of think of these, um, you know, in terms of uh, being specifically uh, related to the, the person themselves. So as I'm mentioning, these, these are very broadly, you know, defined and, and it may not apply to everyone. Um, but, you know, for, for example, someone who cannot remember what, what's been happening um, to, to some folks when they're, when they hear this, they think, well, w- how could someone not remember uh, what the details of the event that that was very traumatic and and really there could be of course many reasons but one of the ones that that I find at least in my practice is that uh, the person in the in that situation when they're when there's some sort of traumatic event happening the, the brain needs to disassociate it really needs to unplug because it's so horrific and like, like you said you know it's it's a way of protecting itself um, you know, so if, uh, right, and so, so that, that disassociation in a sense needs to happen uh, so the person can really uh, get through. Um, but also, because um, a lot of times trauma symptoms will interfere with cognition, like memory, attention, it's really hard for the person to really remember information and to pay attention to information. Uh, until you know, when, well, but what we do find out is when folks get appropriate treatment, their that their cognitive function gets better, and they actually begin to remember. You in a sense, you you kind of need to remember so that you can actually heal through that. Um, so I think with the appropriate trend that really helps. With, with respect to why some folks may um, return to the abuser, um, I think of these as as like two major categories there's our you know individual uh difference factors and then there's our society and uh cultural and legal factors that i think um and i think with individual factors you know they're you know from just my practice and and working with women who have gone through these challenges Mm -hmm. um for example there could be children who's involved in, in the situation and the the person is really afraid that the abuser will hurt the children um, or that they're they're gonna lose their children or lose custody of the children um, there's also like the fear of mm. the person uh, being much more violent and being having doing something lethal mm. or sometimes even the person um, that they're afraid of their financial situation or they may not have resources. Like, where am I going to go for safety? Like, if I leave this house right now, wh- whose house am I going to go? And how am I going to support myself? How am I going to support my children? Um, and this, this is why I think it's, it's so important for folks to be aware of community resources, <laughs> like, like what you you mm-hmm. you all are doing, actually. I mean, it just really solves the, the issue um, and, then, and then for some folks, there's religious and cultural beliefs that where, you know, something like a divorce or separation or uh, there may be um, there these sort of like um, gender roles, beliefs where the person's like, you know, I, I do have to stay here. I have to be loyal. But the challenge in those beliefs is that um, it's it's really um, keeping the person mm-hmm. from from healing and, and getting well. So I think those are some individual Factors and then there's, of course, um, social, you know, more macro level factors that really plays a role. Um, you know, for example, uh, some sometimes when folks are mm-hmm. talking about this situation, and mm-hmm. it's hard for folks to talk about because of that shame, you know. Um, but when they talk to either a supportive person or uh, authority, um, then some folks may downplay it or minimize it, and that's a big problem mm. because the person it takes a lot for that person to even mm-hmm. say something about it um, and then some folks may not even understand the the legal system and the, the procedure and the process of it so there there's this you know difficulty just knowing what is next from mm-hmm. a legal perspective i see and right and so the, these are some, you know, issues like that come. And then sometimes the, the abuser, um, they often will use the family in periods where they're not abusing the person to keep the person from leaving. What do you mean by that? Good question. So, for example, during, you know, if we, this is grossly oversimplified because it may not be like this for everyone, but, you know, in a, for example, sure. in a domestic violent relationship, um, a, a, a person who the abuser, um, during periods where there's no violent phases or no domestic violence, uh, And then during that time, that abuser will sometimes recruit the family to come over, and pretend like things mm-hmm. are fine. Like, like the abuser never did anything because the abuser knows that the you know their partner likes to be with family. Uh, likes to spend time with the children. They may take the children and the family mm. out on a, in a on a picnic uh, with other people involved, um, and that is a way of the abuser really controlling uh, their victim, because the victim the victim won't leave at that time because they're like, well, okay, um, things are things are I guess getting better, but no, the reality is not. And and in, in addition to that, I mean, well. I could go on, but let me just
0: <laughs> stop there. No, no problem. What what it sounds like is that the abuser is sort of able to control the narrative and use these elements, such as um, you know family relationships, uh, as as a way to um, sort of control the situation.
1: Yeah, and and they know the abuser knows that it's very hard for their victim to talk about it. This is why it's important for victims to be aware that they. You know they do need to seek out a a confidential and and safe resource to talk about this because there are you know as as you guys offering there's major resources available.
0: And I know you touched on this previously in in the last answer, but could you talk a little bit about how socioeconomic differences or race or culture or religion, um, how that impacts how a victim experiences trauma?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it, it, the the you know, from what we know from the research is that um, folks from low SES or low socioeconomic status they they do experience higher uh, mental health and more challenges it, traumatically, and not that this is because of any specific, um, you know, demographic factors, but it's I think because from at least from the research is that there there isn't really those. Preventative and mitigating um, uh, situations and factors available, or resources available that that really helps people to um, buffer against trauma. So you know, for for a child to have a safe environment, a stable community, stable relationships, um, have these loving relationships and an environment that really um, uh, buffers against the trauma, it can be very hard to to have some of this. Um, of course, um, there are many exceptions, but these are generally some of the factors, like having like a, a, a child or, or a, a person, an adult, having uh, a loving and uh, nurturing figure, that itself buffers against from the, these PTSD symptoms from developing. And so, um, when these resources are not available, for example, if, if, you know, education around trauma, education around mental health, edu- resources for individuals who are going, who are victims of crime, um, they're not available in an environment like in a, uh, someone, someone who's coming from a low SES background, that itself can really put them at risk for um, worsening of these symptoms.
0: Sort of, there are buffers that can act against PTSD specifically you mentioned family and and perhaps uh, you know close relationships and um, you know children that, that's very interesting
1: yeah it, these are these are such important and it really teaches at least me <laughs> as I'm as I'm mm-hmm. there kind of witnessing the stories of, of um, uh, folks who are going through this is that for me I, I'm learning that you know people matter you know uh, pe- people who are, mm-hmm healed you know i I like the saying um healed people heal people and right it's like Mm, sort of like wow a and a person who's going through trauma if they're able to connect with a loving person that can really help them and a kind person that can help them make sense out of what's going on that in and of itself is healing and buffers against uh things you know uh, even symptoms from developing um and it kind of shows us that the opposite of heal people and heal, heal people. The opposite is, you know, hurt people,
0: hurt people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I guess I've never sort of been exposed to those concepts before, you know, to, to just kind of revisit it. Yeah. I, I, I've never learned that, uh, you know, that there can be buffers against PTSD and that not, you know, every, um, traumatic event will have the same impact on, on people is what it sounds like maybe due to these buffers. Very true. Yeah. Um, So, so let, let's expand maybe on on that topic of PTSD. What is the role of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD in in a victim's recovery process?
1: Um, I think PTSD plays a major role in the recovery process. Um, You know, we're at a point where we have, I think amazing treatment for PTSD. We have very specialized treatment. There's, there's actually not just one, but there's multiple. Um, and and I think that the first step, you know, the role of of this recovery process, or the role of PTSD in this recovery process, is that the first step is what we just talked about earlier, which is what is PTSD? What does it look like? Because the first thing folks need to do is to differentiate themselves from who they are as a person, and who they are not. And usually what they are not is those symptoms of PTSD or the brain just trying to protect itself when mm. we don't need it
0: to. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense.
1: So I, I think, you know, um, because if PTSD is not recognized, then it becomes, it sort of manifests in different ways. I, I you know, work with folks who have, very severe chronic conditions, medical conditions, and their chronic conditions get worse. Their body begins to ache. Mm -hmm. They begin to have headaches. They have very unusual uh, nerve-like sensations in their body that is uh, not related to a medical condition. So, yeah. So, you know, Hmm. PTSD can really present itself in many different ways. It can sometimes even not only manifest in physical forms, but it could also you know, begin to affect relationships. Like if if our, you know, so so to speak, if, if like if my brain meter, my threat, you know, my threat mm-hmm. sensor is um, you know, is highly sensitive to threat and I meet someone who may be a, another potential partner, but my prior partner was abusive that PTSD and that threat sensor is going to go off. And it's going to affect the way I am in my relationship with this new partner.
0: That's all the time we have for today's episode. Please join us on our next episode for part two of the discussion. Thanks for listening. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467, or you can reach us online at 1-800-victims.org, or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center, or Twitter at 1-800-victims. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.